Well, good morning, church. Wow, thanks, Jay. It is great to be with you guys again, getting to open the Word of God. Thank you so much for being here. Um, unfortunately, I'm not Scott McLucas. Um, I know that you guys are waiting to hear him and very uh, excited to hear him next week, but you got me this week. Um, my name's Sutton Wirt, and I'm the community care pastor here. Um, today is a special day, though. Um, today, we're going to finish the book of Romans. I, I can tell you're all very excited. Um, we are going to wrap up the book. And so if you remember, at the beginning of the year, we did a survey, uh, a survey that kind of measured the spiritual health of our church. And something that came out of that is that most of us um, really struggle to share the faith that we profess. Um, and so in response to that, we began to go through the first half of the book of Romans, looking at the Romans road, this uh, plan of salvation, God's good news, his, his gospel. Um, and we define the gospel as, as a word that simply means good news, but specifically the good news of Jesus, both who he is and what he did in history that changes everything, that changes hearts, that changes lives, that ultimately will change the whole world. And so Paul begins at, at the beginning of the book of Romans by explaining that the good news actually starts with bad news. The bad news is first, and that bad news is that you and I are horribly broken and that we're born into rebellion against God. That we're not just people who do some sinful things, but we're actually sinful in our nature, that we're opposed to what is good, we're opposed to God and his authority his kingship over our lives. And so because of this rebellion, we find ourselves um, rightly under God's wrath, which is his good and right anger against everything that's evil, everything that breaks and wounds and mars his good and, and holy creation. And in this state, you and I are helpless. We can't save ourselves, but we are not hopeless. We are not hopeless. And so the good news is that God in Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We saw in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus lived this perfect life. He died a perfect death in your place. He rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering Satan. And so now, as we saw in Romans 10, everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Lord of their life, and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they shall be saved. That's the good news. <clears throat> but it doesn't stop there. And so after a break for Easter, we came back to the book of Romans, and we, we looked at Paul take this turn. He said, okay, you've You've heard this, this good news. You've seen this plan of God, what he's doing to restore and remake people and remake the world. And now this is what it looks like to live that out. This is what it looks like to live as a Christian, someone who has been reborn spiritually, who's gone from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, who's gotten off the throne of their life, allowed Jesus to take his rightful place and is now living for him, living for his glory. And that's what we've been looking at for the past few months. And today, we come to the end. 
And we're going to be in the final three verses of Romans. Um, and here we're going to see Paul uh, kind of end with this word of praise to God. But within these final words of praise, we're going to see this charge. Um, a charge to take hold of this good news that we've been talking about all year. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. So uh, Romans chapter 16 Verses 25 through 27, um, it'll be on the screen. Also, we encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, grab one out of the seats in front of you. Um, Romans chapter 16, it is on uh, page 1126 of those church Bibles. Romans 16, starting in verse 25. This is the word of the Lord for his people. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, we have celebrated you this morning. Lord, you are so good. You are so worthy of of being magnified in our lives. Lord, we have sat in this book of Romans uh, talking about the good news for almost a year now. And so we, as we come to the end, um, Lord, we want to take hold of it. We don't want to let this slip through our fingers. And so, Lord, would you uh, show us the state of our hearts today? Would you convict us? Would you, by your word and by your spirit, um, show us how we can enter in to what you are doing in the world, your good plans for our life? Lord, we uh, want to know you more. We want to love you more. We want to follow you. So we give you this time. Holy Spirit, work on our hearts. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So here, as Paul often does in his letters, he ends this letter with a doxology. And that's just kind of a fancy word for a word of praise. And so he he ends the book with this word of praise to God. And and I love it because it kind of reminds me of, of like a toast. Uh, and at, this, at the end of this feast of gospel truth, Paul's raising his glass and saying, now to him, now to the king. And so the question here before us immediately at the end of this book is, does your life have that same trajectory? Is your life a, a, a raised cup to the Lord now to him? Is every day a day that you can look back and say, Lord, that was for you. That day was for you. And tomorrow is going to be the same because I want nothing more than more of you, more of your glory in the world. Is your life a cup raised to God for his glory? Now to him. Paul goes on. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. So notice here at the end of the book, Paul's reminding them this is what this whole book has been about. It's about the gospel. And these last few verses are actually carefully constructed to remind us of the very first verses that the book started out with. There's a lot of links back and forth between them. Um, 
And so Paul began the book in, in Romans 1 verse 1 with this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so Paul begins and he ends with the gospel. But notice there's a difference. In the beginning, he says the gospel of God. But here at the end, he says, my gospel. My gospel. Why is that? I think it's significant. What Paul is not saying here, however, like I said a few weeks ago, he's not saying what our culture is saying when we hear all the time now, just live your truth. Paul's not saying, hey, just make up your gospel. Whatever's good news for you, just go and, and take that, seize that, take hold of that, find what makes you happy, do what makes you feel good. That is the good news of our culture. That is not what Paul is saying here. He's been rock solid in showing us that this is is God's good news. It's his plan, his truth, his way of redeeming the world, and that is what we have been invited to be a part of. And so I believe that, that what Paul is saying here is not only is this God's good news, but I have also made it my good news. Not only is this God's gospel, but I have made it my own. I've taken possession of it. I've grabbed hold of it with both hands and I'm not letting go. This is also now my gospel. This is my good news. And so church, that is the question I want to linger on today. Is this gospel your good news? Individually, not your family, not because you're a part of a certain community, but you as a person, have you taken hold of this? Is this your good news? And I think, I think that there are many of us here today who haven't taken hold of it. I think there's a lot of us who are sitting on the edge, sitting on the fence, And the Lord is saying today, it's time to get off the fence. We're standing on the edge of the pool looking at this vast, wide open space of God's love. And he's saying, dive in. Take the plunge. Take the step. Have faith. Take hold of this gospel and make it your own. And so that's my call to you today is to take hold of it. You've heard the good news You've been here through the book of Romans. You've heard it, now take hold of it. Is it yours? Have you owned it? So if you're uncertain or or looking for a way to kind of assess where you are today, then here's a a good question um, to assess where you might be. And the question is this, what are you an evangelist for? What are you an evangelist for? Um, Now, evangelist comes from the Greek word for gospel, euangelion, and so it Evangelist just means a good newser, somebody who's sharing good news. And so the reality is that all of us are evangelists for something. All of us have a good news that we want to share with other people. It just might not be God's good news. In reality, the things that that we love to talk about, the things that, that most have our hearts, that we most enjoy and get most excited about, those are the things that we are evangelists for. Think about this in your own life. Maybe you're an evangelist um, for your favorite TV show. 
Stranger Things is pretty cool. Maybe you're an evangelist for an author that you love or some movie that you love or um, some album that just dropped that you just can't get enough of and so you want to talk about it all the time. But maybe that's not you. Maybe, maybe you're an evangelist um, for your favorite sports team. Maybe you're an evangelist for Hokie football or Cavalier basketball. Maybe you're an evangelist for professional sports, maybe for your kids' sports. Maybe you love golf, and so you're always talking about your new golf club or your latest gadget or the course that you tried most recently. Maybe you're an evangelist for your favorite political party, and you always want to talk about what's going on in politics, and what he said this, and she said this, and they're crazy, and we've got it figured out. Maybe you're an evangelist for your kids. Maybe you're an evangelist for uh, your vacation. You've got that place that you love to go or you love going to the lake and you want to tell people about it all the time. Maybe you're an evangelist for your latest gadget, that thing that you got that's so cool or that car or that Rectech or that Traeger and you just want to talk about it all the time. And so that is what you're an evangelist for. And y'all, none of these are bad things, but, but when these begin to become the things that we talk about, that we're passionate about, the things that have our hearts, and the good news of Jesus isn't anywhere to be found in any of that, then how can we say that, that this is our good news? If we don't feel it, we don't mean it, we don't talk about it, it's not what's on our lips, it's not coming out from inside of us. We're evangelists for what we most prize and what we treasure. And so I'm asking you today, have you taken hold of this good news? Have you owned it? Well, what does that look like um, practically? I've only got my own experience to share, and so that's, that's what I'm going to give you. Um, <clears throat> I am the son of a pastor. Um, I was also homeschooled, so... I guess that makes me captain of the nerd squad. Um, also have this nice sweater, which I'm sure you're jealous of. Um, <laughs> um, but, but despite being the son of a pastor, um, when I was young, my parents made it very clear that I wasn't a Christian just because they were Christians. They made it clear that you're not born a Christian, that you're not a family just because you're not a Christian just because your family is, that you're not a Christian because your grandparents were. You're not a Christian even because you go to church every Sunday. As it's been said, you, um, coming to church every Sunday doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. And so my parents made it clear that my faith had to become my own, that I couldn't... Um, Jesus wasn't Lord of my life just because he was the Lord of my parents' life, but that I had to personally allow him to get on the throne of my life, to take his rightful place. I had to hand over the reins and trust him with myself. And so for some reason, by the grace of God, when I was seven years old, I decided I wanted to give my life to Jesus and I was baptized. And then when I was 12 years old, I began to wrestle with what that even meant, and I was anxious and fearful of death and hell, and I knew that the sickness in me was more than deserved any kind of goodness from God. And when I was 13, Jesus met me with his love 
and his grace and showed me that he had done everything necessary to bring me to him and I gave him everything I knew of myself. All that I knew of myself was, wasn't much. I gave to him and I said, Lord, I want to follow you and I want to trust you forever. And suddenly the word of God became beautiful to me and I wanted to read it for myself, not because anyone was telling me to. And I, I wanted to spend time with Jesus every day, not because anyone was telling me to, but because I, I loved him and I wanted more of him. And so my faith went from being my parents to being my own. And so I'm asking you today, have you made this faith your own? Have you owned it? Paul goes on. Um, and through these verses, he's reminding us of points from um, throughout the book, really. These phrases are, are kind of calling back things that he's talked about. So he's saying um, that the gospel is the good news of Jesus. He's saying that it's this mystery that was revealed, and now we can see it all throughout Scripture. Um, he's saying that it's not just for Jews, but it's for the whole world. It, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. And then at the end of verse 26, he says the gospel has this goal— to bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. And that's another phrase uh, that he uses that is calling back to the beginning of the book. He says it in chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of this is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. And so that, too, just like what you're an evangelist for, the obedience of faith, I think, is a great indicator a great uh, barometer of where you are and whether you have taken hold of this gospel and made it your own or not. So I think the power of that phrase is that there, it's the two things together. It's kind of what we've seen in the book of Romans. You've got this faith in what God has done that manifests itself in obedience in the present. Because you believe and love and trust God, then your life is changed and you live differently. It's faith that obeys. It's obedience that is filled with faith. But an indicator, I think, of whether maybe we've missed this is when we have one without the other. When we have one without the other. And so some of us, um, we've got the faith, or we, we at least say that we have the faith, but we don't have obedience. We're just giving lip service to God. And if that's where you're at, that might be a very good indication that you haven't taken hold of this good news. If you say that you have faith, but then when you mention church, your coworkers are surprised that you actually go, <laughs> this probably isn't your gospel. You probably haven't taken hold of this yet. If you don't talk about these things with your kids and with your spouse and at home. If following Jesus isn't something you're doing with your family, this probably isn't your good news. You probably haven't taken hold of this yet. If you have to really try hard to convince yourself to do anything for God, whether it's giving him your money, giving him your time, serving people in need, then you probably haven't taken hold of this good news. You probably haven't owned it. 
Our faith can't just be faith without obedience. James, the brother of Jesus, says that that kind of faith is dead. That kind of faith is dead. But then also on the other side, some of us have obedience without faith. We're just going through the motions. So some of us are really good at showing up at church and doing the the church thing, but there's no real faith in our hearts. We We haven't been lit up with that fire and that love for Jesus. If you've been coming to church for a long time, but you never have just turned to the Lord and said, Lord, I love you, I love you, then this probably isn't your good news. You probably haven't taken hold of it. If you've been here all these years, but day after day, week after week, your life continues to look the same inside, and you're not filled with the fruit of the Spirit, but you're filled with just general resentment and bitterness and frustration towards the people in your life, then you probably have not taken hold of this good news. You haven't owned it. It's not yours. Oh, church, I don't say these things to to guilt anyone or to condemn anyone, but my fear is that we would get to the end of an incredible book like Romans and remain unchanged by it. My heart aches that every one of us would know the beauty and the joy and the life that comes from following Jesus, that we wouldn't sit through this feast of gospel goodness and at the end of the day still not have taken hold of it for ourselves. Men, If your wife says, we don't need to go to church today, and you're like, yes. And you turn on the TV, head of the golf course, this isn't your good news. You haven't taken hold of it yet. It's a good and a noble and an honorable thing to to want to bring your wife and kids to church so that they can learn about God and and do what they want to do. But if you're not coming for you, because you need Jesus, because you've been broken by your sin and woken up with love for him. This isn't your good news, and I want it to be. And we, your leadership, want it to be. And so please know that I'm not saying these things to condemn or or to, um, again, to cause guilt, but I want us to take serious stock of where we are today as individuals because the good news is that if you're sitting there and you're like, man, I don't, I don't feel those things. My life isn't marked by love for God. It's not marked by obedience to him. Then that's okay, because that's why Jesus came. And there's life for you, and there's hope for you, and there's freedom for you. All you have to do is come to him. He died to make dead hearts come to life. He loves you and wants you to experience that same love in return. And when you're woken up with that love for Jesus, then obedience just flows out. You want to follow him. There's nothing else that you'd rather do. And so again, I'm asking you today, have you taken hold of it? Have you made this your own? Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and at one time this was your good news. Maybe there was a time when you were younger when you were were lit up with that fire for God and 
and this was what you wanted to talk about. This is what you were consumed by. But over time, that's just kind of faded into the background and you've gotten caught up in the, the bills and the grind and the job and the pressures. Jesus tells this parable about um, the way that the word of God comes into our hearts. It's like seed coming into a field. And, and, and for some people, uh, the seed comes in and it grows into this beautiful plant and it bears fruit. But for others, it grows up for a time, but then it's choked out by the weeds of the worries of this world and the cares of this life. And so maybe you need to return to your first love. You need to come back back to the good news that once saved you, that same good news is also made to sustain you. The Christian life is meant to run on the gospel. The gospel is not some spark plug that just starts the, the engine of your life, but it's the gasoline that fuels the engine of your Christian life the whole way home. And so come back. Return to your first love. He'll He'll change you. He'll wake you up. He'll stir that affection for him again. So Paul concludes, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He begins where we started today. Glory to him. That's the goal of our lives. That's what you were made for to bring glory to him in everything, to enjoy him forever. That word glory just means value or worth or significance. And so if, if God is not what it, you're valuing most in your life, if you're not an evangelist for him, if you're an evangelist for all these other things because they have more value, they have more pleasure, they have more joy for you than Jesus, then turn around. Ask God to capture your heart with this old, old story that continues to be new and fresh every day. Ask him to wake up your soul from its slumber. Ask him to take hold of you and then take hold of this. Make this your gospel, your good news. Friends, what else is there to live for? What else is going to last? What else is going to change hearts and fix lives? What else is going to fill you to overflowing? None of that other stuff. I'd like to take just a moment to be quiet. Just a minute. Um, but I'd like to just ask the Lord to work in our hearts, um, to show us what we're living for, to show us what we really enjoy and delight in most. And if it's not him, if it's not this good news, just ask him. Tell him you're ready to step off the edge. Tell him you're ready to take the plunge. You're ready to get off the bench and get in the game. Or maybe tell him that you were there once, but you want that passion again. He'll do it. He'll do it. So let's just take a moment to be quiet, and then I'll pray, and then the band will lead us.
Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for the good news that we can be reunited with you. Lord, truly, you are the gospel. You are the best news. And Lord, my heart aches that there would be anyone here, anyone who's a part of our church, anyone who um, steps through these doors who would miss the adventure of a lifetime of living with you, of experiencing your love. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never um, experienced you, who hasn't heard your voice, who hasn't known what it is to be loved by you, Lord, would you um, open their hearts to your love this morning? Lord, if there's anyone holding back because they're afraid or uncertain or indifferent, Lord, would you meet them? You know how to deal with each of us. You deal with each of us so differently. You have what our hearts are searching for. Lord, if there's anyone uh, among us who needs to come back to our first love, Lord, I felt your call to that even this week. And so, Lord, we just return to you. We want to be moved by the love that you have for us, broken over the sin that's in our lives. So incredibly thankful for the mercy that you show us. So Lord, we come now as your people and those who aren't your people. Lord, would you do what only you can do? We love you, we trust you, and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.